Um, so yeah, today, as you've heard, we're starting our, our Advent series, and um, it's really a, a season for us as Christians to slow down and to remember the significance of the arrival of Jesus. Advent simply means arrival. It's a word that we don't use often in our, in our culture, but this has been something that Christians throughout generations have, have done in the weeks leading up to Christmas to simply remember the reason for the season. It's important for us because um, our culture is, is communicating a message that the holiday season is all about giving and receiving gifts, right? It's all about um, Santa. It's all about cookies. It's all about nutmeg or all about whatever the, the famous dish in your country is for Christmas that you make for Christmas, but you end up eating for the entire next few months. And while those are all parts of the season and fun, festive parts of the season, we as Christians have an opportunity to to slow down, to step away from from all the craziness, and to remember why is it that the birth of Jesus is important? Why is it that we truly celebrate Christmas? What does Jesus' birth mean for us? So we're going to do that over these next four weeks by considering four different themes, four different words that... Christians have historically remembered through Advent that are hope, faith, joy, and peace. We're going to see that the arrival of Jesus is um, something that teaches us about the security of hope that we can have in him. Teaches us about the assurance of faith and, and the nature of joy and the reality of peace. So today, Galatians chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and we're going to consider the hope that we can have in Jesus. The book of Galatians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in a town called Galatia. And um, this is a a group of people who'd received the good news of Jesus and and received it with joy and placed their faith in Jesus. But then there were these false teachers that were coming in that were saying, Jesus, yeah, he's fine, but you need to add good works and, and circumcision to your salvation if you really want to be in a right relationship with God. And so Paul, in response, he writes a very clear letter telling them everything you need for life and for salvation is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Faith in Jesus is enough, Paul says. And one of the reasons that he gives them to remind them of the sufficiency that is found in Jesus is by going back to the birth of Jesus. So that's where we're going to be. Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7 say this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask him to speak to us. Father, We are here to hear from you. God, we didn't come to hear a person say words. We came to hear directly from you. And so, God, we ask you to speak to us. Father, we open up our hearts to receive what it is that you will say. God, I pray that your word would be living and active as as you say it is. God, that it would pierce our hearts and that we would leave this place with an increased hope and confidence in you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. I wonder if you think back on this week, how many times you've used the word hope. If you're like me, you've used it a lot. I was thinking like 
I um, hope that I have space in my stomach to get one more plate of food this Thanksgiving. I hope that the people I'm eating with don't start talking about politics. And my brother, just for fun, as he was sitting there, he goes, so, what do you guys think about politics? Just because he knew that we probably shouldn't talk about that because it's not really that fruitful. I said, I hope Nebraska wins their football game. Um, I hope that people like the, the Christmas decorations that we put in the church. I hope, I hope, I hope. And it doesn't take long to realize that some of the things that we hope for happen. Some of the things we hope for don't. And I think hope in our context, it, it almost seems more like, like a wish in a lot of ways. Like, like I wish for all of these things to happen, but, but oftentimes I just need to be honest that wishes don't come true. I think because that's our, our experience with the word hope in, in our everyday life, we can carry the same view of hope when we read in the scriptures that God is the God of all hope. We can carry that into our view when we talk about hoping in God. We can easily view hoping in God like the same way that we hope that our coffee order is correct when we order it. Like, it should be. We should be able to hope in God, but we can never be positive. But it's my hope, my confident hope for all of us today that we will begin to view God as one that we can have 100% confident hope in no matter what happens. Because he's a God who never goes back on his word. And the Bible says that that we can hope in God and have that hope as an anchor for our souls. In a turbulent world that's always changing, our souls can be anchored in Jesus. And to give us a a more biblical definition of hope, I want to share what John Piper says. He says, the biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. So hope in God is not just a desire. It's not just a wish. It's a confident expectation. And so church, we can hope in God and we're gonna see why. Starting in verse four. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So the first truth I wanna highlight for us is that Jesus' arrival proves that we can hope in God's promises. Jesus' arrival proves that we can hope in God's promises. When, when the fullness of time had come is how this verse starts. So what, is that, what does that mean? Well, in the Bible, God consistently told his people about the arrival of his son. Even in Genesis, the beginning of the Bible, after Adam and Eve sinned, God immediately promised. He said, one day a son will be born and that son will crush the head of the devil. A few chapters later, God promises Abraham that a son will be born and that the descendants that will come will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as many as the sand on the sea. As Jacob was was dying toward the end of Genesis, God speaks through him about the promise of the Savior that's coming. When the people of Israel are, are delivered out of slavery in Egypt... They put this, this perfect blood of the perfect lamb on their doorposts, and that blood meant their salvation. It was foreshadowing Jesus. The prophet Isaiah spoke by God and, and said that there would be a son who would be born, who would be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God and Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Through the prophet Micah in the Old Testament, God told his people that their ruler would be born in 
Bethlehem. Now, there are just a few examples, but from generation to generation, God has been singing the same tune. He had been marching to the same beat. A son will be born, and he will save your people, save people from their sins, and he is coming soon. And now Paul, as he writes Galatians, is looking back on the birth of Jesus, and he says, the fullness of time had come. That night in Bethlehem, when, when everyone went to their own hometown to register for the census, the moment was right, and the promise was fulfilled. Jesus, the Son of God, was born in the stable. And then Paul makes this note that he was born of a woman, of, of a virgin, and he includes this to remind the Christians in Galatia, yes, of Jesus' humanity, that he was born under the law, that he was born as a human being. But in doing so, he's also reminding the Christians that God is trustworthy because generations earlier, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, and he said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. If you were going to make a promise that you knew for a fact you could keep, even 10 years into the future, I'm willing that you'd make it, I'm willing to bet that you would make it a really easy promise, right? Like I'm 6'3 in height. And if I wanted to make a promise I knew I could keep, I would say 10 years from now, I promise you, I will be over six feet tall. Because it still gives me like three inches if I shrink in 10 years somehow. But I know that I can keep that, that promise. But that's only 10 years, and what God does is something that's completely different. About 700 years before Jesus was born of a virgin, God said, my son will be born of a virgin. And I don't have to tell you or explain to you why that's miraculous, but I highlight that reality because it, it gives us another example of the unmatched power of God. It shows us that when God makes a promise, even a promise that seems impossible, he fulfills the promise. And it shows us that hoping in God's promises is a hope that will not disappoint. Jesus' arrival, his birth, proves that we can hope in God's promises. I can share many examples of how that's, that's played out in, in my life, but I think one that comes naturally is the reality that worrying can come, come very easily to me. And uh, one of the areas that I've worried about historically in the life of this church since planting it was um, finances. I remember at the beginning of the church, we, um, I would watch the, the bank account so closely of like, okay, how are we going to get to a point where we as a church can be self-sustaining? Because right now we've got a lot of people who are helping us from the outside. How can we get to that place? And these worries would fill my mind even when we were doing good. But then God began to speak to my heart and to remind me of the promises that he's made in his word. Jesus, is, Jesus, in his word, he promises, as you go and make disciples, I will be with you. Which means that he will be with us as we make disciples. Jesus promises, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Meaning that he will build his church. He will build us and hell cannot prevail against it. Jesus says that as we generously join him in his mission on this earth, then he will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's what we learned last week. So if that's what God says, if that's what God is clear about in his word, I have a choice. 
Will I hope in God? Will I trust in his word and in his promises? Or will I take things into my own hands and try to control something that I can't control? I'm learning every day how, how that looks to, to consistently place every worry, every care into God's hands. And to be quite honest and to celebrate God's faithfulness, like it's becoming increasingly easier to hope in him in that specific situation because I'm seeing his faithfulness before my very eyes. He's, he's using you as his church to fulfill his promises that he's made. Like he says that he will provide and we were just running through our, our finances this week and our monthly report and our giving is up 45% this year compared to last year. Like that's a huge celebration of, of the faithfulness of God through you, his people. It's amazing. Like he uses us as his people to prove his faithfulness back to us. It's pretty stinking cool. So if God is speaking his promises to you, if he's promising his presence in your loneliness, if he's promising his purpose even in your pain, if he's promising provision even in your need, I pray that you've seen clearly through his word and that you will see in your life that he can be trusted. You can hope in him. And making that decision to truly hope in God, to trust in his promises, it starts in our minds. It's a conscious decision we need to make in our minds. We need to actually choose. I'm going to trust. I'm going to hope in God. And as we do, as we consistently make those decisions, then it begins to come into our hearts. We're like, we have a heart that is just like quietly confident in, in our Savior. It becomes core to our identity. We become people who hope in God. Consider verses 5 and 6. It says that Jesus was born to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So yes, when, when Jesus came, when he was born, his arrival proved the faithfulness of God. He proved that God keeps his promises, but that's not the only reason that Jesus came. You can write this truth down, that Jesus' arrival gives us hope as God's children. It gives us hope because we know that we're children of God. See, Jesus also came to, to redeem us from our sin and to bring us into a relationship with God. Let me explain. Before Jesus, you and I were under the law, as the scripture says. It means that we, we had God, God's law, and, and whether we were aware of it or not, we were, we were trying to live up to some standard, God's standard. Some of us thought that we were doing a pretty decent job. We were pretty good people. We didn't do too many bad things. Others of us were very aware of the fact that we fall significantly short when we stand up to God's law. But regardless of, of where we were at, the Bible's clear that all of us were under the law. We were slaves to the law. We were trying to please God, trying to be in a relationship with God in our own effort. And so when the Bible says that Jesus redeemed those who were under the law, it's communicating that Jesus bought us out of slavery. Like we were slaves to the law, bound to the law. Jesus bought us out of our slavery. He saw us as slaves and he purchased us so that we no longer have to live in this constant state of, am I doing good enough to make God happy? And he did this by sending Jesus to be born, to live a, a sinless life, 
to die for the sins of the world. Jesus perfectly kept God's law. Jesus pleased God 100% of the time. And then he went to the cross to die for those of us who could never fulfill God's law perfectly. And as Jesus' blood was being shed on the cross, the proof was clear. Nothing we do or don't do can make us right with God. Our sins have to be forgiven. The blood of Christ proves that reality. Jesus did the work so that they can be. So that they are forgiven. Jesus made it possible for us to be bought out of slavery and into relationship with God. So it's, it's great that we're no longer slaves to our sin. That we're no longer bound to the punishment of sin. But God did not just stop at buying us back. He was not like, yeah, you can leave slavery, but I'll see you later. As we continue to read, we learn that he took us from slaves and he made us sons and daughters. Not only did he take us out of our slavery and buy us back, but then he said, also, come here, I want you to be part of my family. I want to adopt you into my family. So if you've ever felt unwanted, by God, I hope that you see this truth and that it hits you deep in your heart, that God wants you so badly that he chose to adopt you into his family. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. And he desires it so badly that he sent his perfect son, Jesus, to make it possible. So if your faith is in Jesus then you understand the finished work on the cross is the only way for your sins to be forgiven and you have the confident hope, the confident assurance right now that you are a child of God. Not only are you no longer a slave bound and trapped in sin, you are a family member of the Father. And that's an identity shift for each and every one of us. It's a, it's a shift that gives us hope because we understand that as children of God, what the Father has is ours. Like if, if God is our Father and God is, is the God of all hope, as the scripture says, then hope is, is ours because he gives it to us. Because God is our Father, forgiveness is available to us because he's a God who forgives. We have love and joy and peace and patience all available to us and the means by which God has given us those gifts is by his Holy Spirit that is living in us. So verse 6 says, it says that we have the Spirit of God sent into our heart and as a result we cry, Abba, Father. See, the presence of God's Holy Spirit living in us allows us to have an intimate, personal, deep relationship with our Heavenly Father as we walk on this earth. Because the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, we begin to think how God thinks. We begin to see how God sees. We begin to, to act in the way that God acts. We begin to, to respond differently when things don't go as planned because we have this understanding that, that God has purpose even in the chaos. And in addition to all of that, we understand that we have a direct line of communication with our Heavenly Father. Our hearts cry, Abba, Father, it says. This is the, the language that Jesus uses as he interacts with the Father. It's a, a deep, a personal, 
intimate word that communicates this, this great desire for proximity, this great desire for, for deep and meaningful relationship. It's communicating this reality that God did not just save us so that we could know more facts about him and, and become more knowledgeable about who he is and then go on with our life with all of our new facts. He did not just save us so that we won't have to go to hell. God sent his son, and now he sent his Holy Spirit to live in us because he wants a deep and a personal and an ongoing relationship with you today. It's not just for the future, it's for right now. And I don't know, I don't know what your relationship with your earthly father is like, but I know for me there are plenty of times where I have a question or a concern or a need for wisdom, and I call my dad. And almost inevitably, um, I have this sense of peace and confidence as I talk to him because I'm like, okay, you're right. It's not that bad. It's going to work out. It's going to be okay. And I can take a deep breath. And that is just a small shadow of the relationship that we can have with God, our Father. Like we have a direct line. We have his texting number to use our language. But please don't think you're texting God. You're probably texting AI and that's not a great idea. But we have a direct line in prayer to our Father. We can go to him immediately when we're scared. And we can tell him what's on our mind. And ask him to fill us with his peace. We can go to him immediately when we sin. And we can be honest with him. And we can receive his forgiveness. When we need wisdom, he says, ask. When it's hard to forgive, he's ready to remind us of the forgiveness that he's shown us so that we can forgive others. We never ever have to go to God with a posture of like, I hope that he would hear me today, but I, I wish that he would hear me today, but I don't know if he will. Because the biblical reality that the Bible teaches is that we are his children. And as his children, we have a confident, unchanging hope that God is actively listening to us. So fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, as we, as we share the same heavenly father, we have learned that Jesus' arrival, it, it made it possible for us to be in God's family. He's listening to us. His spirit lives in us. We have a relationship with him as our father. It's our great hope as his children right now, but our hope also goes into the future. Verse 7 he says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The final key truth as we close is that Jesus' arrival gives us hope of a future with God. So we've, we've considered the narrative of, of scripture this morning. We've seen how God promised Jesus from the very beginning of time. We've considered the faithfulness of God, how God makes his promises, and then he fulfills his promises, even though humanity has sinned against him. We've considered the, the birth and, and the life and the death of Jesus, that all who trust in him are filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God, have an active relationship with God right here and right now, and these truths help us grow in our understanding of God in this moment. They help us understand why we can hope in God today, but the verse that we just read gives us a, a little glimpse into the future reality that we have as God's children as well. It's the reality that we as Christians have the hope of an eternity with God. That we are heirs of eternal life. 
Christian, you have an inheritance awaiting you. It's an inheritance that is an eternity with the perfect Son of God, where there's no more pain, there's no more tears, there's no more loss, there's no more sin. Everything that's wrong with the world will be done away with. Every worry will fade away. Every fear will disappear. Every doubt will be gone. And every sin thrown away. You and I will be with our Heavenly Father, worshiping Jesus, enjoying Him forever with one another. That's our inheritance. And one of the reasons that we can hope that that is the future inheritance that is awaiting us is because we've seen the faithfulness of God throughout the generations on this earth. We've seen him fulfill his promises in scripture. We can all look back at our lives and say, man, God was faithful. God kept his word even when they didn't know how he was gonna do it. So when he says that we are heirs, that we have this inheritance that is awaiting us, we can know that he means it. They're not just empty words. They're yet another promise from God. So in an unsure, changing world, where do you put your hope? I naturally can put my hope in so many other things, like my bank account, like my relational harmony, like the connections that I have with others, just to name a few. But those are really insecure places to put your hope. Those things can be here one moment and be gone the next. But God's word shows us there, there is one place where we can put our hope like that's confident and sure and will not ever fade away. And it's in the God who has proven himself trustworthy for generations. There's one being and only one being who chose to purchase us out of slavery and then adopt us into his family. Forgiving all of our sins, filling us with his Holy Spirit. There's one being who is active and present in our lives today while also promising to be with us forever, and it's God. The arrival of Jesus proves we can hope in God's promises. The arrival of Jesus gives us, gives us hope as God's children today, but also gives us a confident view into the future that God will be with us forever. So church, hope in God. When, we're chose, when we are told to, to find our security and our, and our purpose and, and our meaning in life and, and the newest technology and the newest investment and the perfect family picture this Christmas season, I invite you to respond to the invitation of Jesus, to place your hope in Jesus. He says, run to me, take refuge in me. I want to close with the words of Hebrews chapter 6 as we consider this sure hope that is ours in Jesus. It says that when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of 
Melchizedek. So like a boat depends on its anchor for safety and stability in an ever-changing sea. You and I place our hope in Jesus for a consistent relationship, a consistent Savior in an ever-changing world. And the Bible says we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Father, we thank you that we can hope in you. Lord, and that we're not just placing our hope in in something that is here one moment and gone the next. Or something that even has been faithful for a couple generations, has a little bit of history. But God, we, when we trust in you, place our hope in a God who, from the foundations of the earth, has made promises and fulfilled promises, has spoken words and fulfilled every word that You've spoken, and God, now we have a confident hope that that you're faithful today, and you'll be faithful forever. So God, I pray for every single one of us that it would be true of our core identity, deep in our hearts, that we carry around this unexplainable peace because we hope in God. That no matter what comes, we, we remain steadfast and immovable because our hope is in a steadfast and immovable and all-powerful God. God, it's a work that your spirit desires to do in us. So Father, in the areas that we don't trust you, pray that you'd show them to us that we would make the decision today in our minds to trust you. And God, that decision would become a core part of who we are. Pray in your name, Jesus. We're going to respond to to what we've heard this morning as we do, just continuing the the conversation with God in in prayer. Um, Remembering that as we commune with God, we have the spirit of God living in us. He's he's speaking to us right here and right now. And maybe having a conversation with God through prayer is is new. Maybe it feels new to you. So I just want to share a few prompts to to get that conversation started. And, And the first would be, Father, because you adopted me, I know blank like when you when you consider the fact that God has adopted you into his family what does that communicate to you about God what does that communicate to you about yourself spend some time considering that it means that you want us God we know that you want us we know that you love us we know that you delight in spending time with us we know that we're valuable to you and we know that we received an abundantly kind gift Consider hoping in God. It's, it's, it's 
natural and, and easy for us oftentimes to, to hope in, in other things. I just wanna give us a moment to, to be honest with God about the different areas in our lives that we find our hope, where we find our confidence, where we find our trust. And just asking God, Father, help me hope in you because it's easy for me to hope in one of those areas that, that it's easy for you to, to hope in instead of the Father. Invite him to help you hope in him.